Good morning, goddesses and gods alike. This is Shannon, and I'm your host, and you're listening to the Goddess Morning Show podcast, where you can tune in every weekday morning for an approximately 20-minute long episode to start your day with updates on things that matter to a community of awake and conscious individuals who seek the divine feminine in all we do. We sift through all the copious amounts of information on the internet to bring you news and information on the things that matter to you. Tune in to hear about environmental news and book releases, interviews with thought leaders influencing the awakening of humanity, the moon phases, planetary positions, crystal healing, herbal and holistic health, guidance on green living, and that's just naming a few. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on right now. Be blessed. Namaste. Good morning, goddesses and gods alike. Today is March 12th. It is Thursday, and this is the Goddess Morning Show. I'm Shannon, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us. First, let's talk about the moon and planetary positions for today, and that is sun in Pisces, moon in Libra, Mercury direct in Aquarius, Venus in Taurus, Mars in Capricorn, Jupiter in Capricorn, Saturn in Capricorn, Uranus in Taurus, Neptune in Pisces, Pluto in Capricorn, and Chiron in Aries. So let's talk a little bit about Saturn. And this comes to us written by Charlie Rainbow Wolf. And it says Saturn often gets a bad rap as the Lord of Karma or the Great Malefic. Saturn is only a problem if you've been trying to cut corners and shirk your responsibility. It's a great disciplinarian, which is why some people dread its aspects. But let me ask you this. What loving father doesn't discipline their child? Saturn retrogrades and Saturn returns can be a bit tricky, especially when one overlaps the other. Saturn's orbit is 29 years, so when your Saturn returns come around at 29, 58, and if you're lucky, 87. If one of those is your age in 2020, this retrograde applies to you particularly. It starts entering its shadow at 25 degrees Capricorn, but doesn't station retrograde until May at nearly 2 degrees Aquarius. The old man stations direct at the end of September, but won't actually leave the retrograde zone until 2021. The most important days of this retrograde are when it's when it hits an erratic degree of 29 degrees Capricorn the second week in March of this year and the first half of July. Those are likely to be the most rocky days, the days when things just feel out of sorts or don't seem to be happening. This is particularly important because of Saturn and Pluto are going to be conjunct in Capricorn on and off for most of the year, frequently bumped by Jupiter and joined by Mars in February and March. Saturn's pretty happy at home here in Capricorn, but Jupiter doesn't like the restrictive energy at all. At least Mars likes the sign of the old goat. I've waffled back and forth on about Saturn a bit because this is an important transit, particularly if it dings one of your natal power points of planets. You may feel limited, particularly when it comes to shouldering too much responsibility or feeling that others depend on you too much. 
Take extra time these days and don't lose your cool with Mars's energy or Jupiter's frustrations. Look at the areas of your life that you want to work on and bring into balance. For Saturn's retrogrades will give you a chance to do just that. It's all about responsibility, hard work, yes, but it comes with a, such a high reward. All right, moving on to our next article from soulrealignment.com. We have an article by Andrea Hess, and this is the divine gift we may be ignoring, but all of us have it. I recently got the strangest question from a reader. Apparently, she had been taught that we all have soul contracts, and no matter what we do in this lifetime, we will complete our contract. We might veer off our path for a while, but we'll always do what we came here to do. She wanted to know what I thought of this teaching. To me, this made no sense. After all, that would mean we could all sit back on our couch, binge watch Netflix, drink beer, and eat cookies all day every day, and we'd still complete our some soul contract that we don't understand or even know about. Why would we even bother with a personal or spiritual development at all? Why exercise free will? Unfortunately, religion has trained us to put logic and reason aside when it comes to spiritual matters. Over the centuries, having faith and believing in the unseen, inexplicable, mysterious, and often totally unreasonable has become more spiritual than thinking for ourselves and questioning what others hold as true. And yet the divine gave all of us a beautiful mind, infinitely capable of reason and logic. I doubt that we were gifted with this amazing capacity for thought only for the divine to then ask us to put reason aside for the sake of being spiritual. That's sort of like giving a child candy, asking her not to eat it in order for, I'm sorry, asking her not to eat it in order for her to prove that she is worthy of the candy. Here's my suggestion for applying critical thought to spiritual teachings. Is what I'm being taught actionable? Can I use the information? Students sometimes ask me questions about topics such as what happens to the soul in between lifetimes. I honestly tell them I don't know and don't care, but what we'll all find out is eventually that we do know and will care. Truth be told, we could discuss all day about what the soul experiences when it's not incarnated, but why does it matter? We'll never know for sure until we ourselves make our transition, and we certainly can't do anything about it any anything with this kind of information and yet so many spiritual seekers preoccupy themselves with information and misinformation that can't possibly serve them right now teachings tell us that we construct some sort of contract or lesson plan before birth and then simply follow a plan well that's not exactly information we can do anything with we're incarnated now we're here to have a human experience now this is what our soul has obviously chosen or we wouldn't be here. So why bother with anything other than teachings that help us make this human experience a kick-ass expression of our divinity? Can you do the spiritual practice? Can you make new choices based on what you are being taught? If yes, awesome. Then move on to the next step, which is to ask, can I experience the validity of this teaching in my own life through actual results? One of the reasons I have my students work with practice clients when they study soul realignment is because I want them to have the experience of presenting a reading to another person and having the person confirm their accuracy. 
See, if we only ever read for ourselves, we don't really experience the breathtaking magic of the Akashic Records. It's when you tell someone you don't know all about themselves and nail it that you truly experience oneness and spiritual power in a way that is completely, utterly irrefutable. irrefutable. That's a result that we can experience. It changes us forever. And that's what our evolutionary path is all about. We're here to have a human experience, not a human information gathering. If you can't prove to yourself in your own experience that what you are being taught is true because it helps you create new results, then the teaching is holding you in disempowerment. I once had a spiritual teacher who certainly gave me a ton of spiritual practices to do, so his work was absolutely actionable. But when asked about these spiritual practices we're supposed to accomplish, the answer would always be, just wait, you'll understand it eventually. Go meditate some more. The whole you're not ready yet and you'll understand it eventually play is an old school guru culture disempowerment mechanism that just keeps students on the hook and paying their monthly fees. Needless to say, I still have no idea what these spiritual practices were supposed to do for me. Leaving his program was one of the best choices I ever made, and I learned all about the kind of spiritual teacher I never wanted to become. You're allowed to know why you are taking action on spiritual teachings. You should absolutely have a reasonable expectation of some sort of new result in your life if you are following instructions and taking action on your own behalf. If you're not told what, ex what results to expect, or if the promised result will conveniently occur only after your death, as in the case of some religions, then the goal of the teachings isn't to empower you, but to give power to the teacher or organization you are studying with. If spiritual teachings are valid, then you should be able to prove their validity to yourself by taking action and experiencing a new result. Anything else is simply unreasonable. To your infinite wisdom, Andrea Hess. All right, our next article comes to us from pathios.com. It's called Crossing Crossroads, Three Candle Tricks You Should Really Know, March 3rd of this year by J. Allen Cross. It says, I teach a lot, and the bulk of my classes center around candle magic, and it's my preferred method of working. In this work, I get to hear a lot of questions, and I get a good sense about where folks tend to have weaknesses in their knowledge base. Across the board, I've noticed that folks don't know about three major candle magic techniques, budding, loading, and waking programming. Most of these are done with coach candles or medium to large style stick candles. Some of these can be done with chimes, votives, tapers, and vigils, but not all of them. Let's discuss. Candle magic is my preferred method of working. First up is budding. It's okay to giggle, it's a funny word. Despite its comedic flair, it is a powerful technique used to turn something on its head. In fact, it's how you do the famous trick of burning candles upside down. To begin, hold your candle upright and look at the top. Notice that most candles are a cylinder with a crayon-like tip. With a sharp knife, carefully cut off the tip so now it's flat. This way the candle becomes a cylinder with two flat ends. Then turn it upside down so the base points up and the old tip is pointing down, forming the new flat base. The old base is now the top and needs to be carved. 
Using the same knife, whittle the wax into a point exposing the wick, thus creating a new tip, or in short, cutting off the top, flip it over, carve the bottom into the new tip. This way the candle is flipped upside down and burned as such. This is useful when doing reversal work as most double action candles where the bottom is black and the top is a color like white, red, or green are meant to be butted to create the reversal effect. A lot of folks don't know this and I see it as a lot across Instagram where folks are missing this step. Now certainly there are instances in which you'd want to burn them colored side up. However, the point is that you should be burning them right side up when you want to for a reason, not just because you don't know there's an alternative. Loading is the act of putting things inside the candle. The sacred, the second thing folks often don't understand is the act of loading a candle. Loading is different than dressing, which is largely done on the outside of the candle. Loading is the act of putting things inside the candle. This is often done one of two ways. Most commonly, the bottom of the candle, the flat part, is carefully hollowed out with a sharp knife. Don't get carried away. This should simply be a small crater, no bigger than you absolutely need. If you make it too wide, you risk cracking the candle. If your candle is really narrow, you may want to use a flathead screwdriver instead. Using this technique, you can add herbs, oils, personal concerns, such as hair, photos, petition papers, inside the candle. The second method is very similar, but instead of giving up through the base, you tunnel in through the side. Going up through the base, you tunnel in through the side. This is often done with pillar candles or votives as they tend to be thicker. You risk cracking your candle in half with anything thinner. Either way you go about it, be sure to close up the hole when you are done so the items are fully inside. I do this by lighting a smaller candle of the same color and dripping the wax over it to seal once more. I tend to use the loading technique to set the core tone for slightly more complicated work. For instance, combining a love charm or luck charm in one candle to produce a lucky, a lucky in love work, I would choose a pink or red candle and load it with love herbs and oils. I would then dress the outside of the candle with luck herbs and oils. This way, the core of the candle is based in love, but it's influenced with luck. Or if I'm doing protection work, I'll put some of the hair of the person or their photo inside the candle and dress it with protection oil and herbs. Hold the awakened candle to your mouth and speak your intention into it. The last technique I find that people really don't know about is waking and programming your candle. This is found frequently in folk magic where there's a tendency to treat everything like it's alive. The idea being that you wake the candle up so that its spirit is active and then you give it instructions. The waking portion can be done a few different ways, but the most common method is to tap it on a hard surface like an altar three times. Simple as that. The next step is to program it in one way or another. This part also varies between traditions, but there are two methods I prefer. The first is rolling the candle. Roll it across a surface. Your work table or an altar is fine to set the overall energetic intention. Candle wax absorbs and records energy and instructions really well, so you don't have to overthink it. 
Roll it away from you three times if you're getting rid of something or doing work that you consider outwardly projective, like banishing, blasting, cleansing. Roll the candle toward you three times if you want to bring something in, like love, prosperity, or protection. This simply lets the candle know if you want it to pull in or push away. The other method of doing this is to simply hold the awakened candle to your mouth and speak your intention into it. This is fairly modern method. The rolling is old school, but both work well. No matter which you choose, they set the tone for the rest of the dressing and fixing you do with a candle before you light it up. Remember, it's a novena, not a pipe bomb. Before I let you go, I want to cover one last thing. This is more of a novena candle thing, but it really needs to be said. Don't overfill your novena candles. There's this thing that happens mostly on Instagram where people fill their novena candles to the brim with dried herbs and oils and then light them, resulting in a bonfire. Then folks post them online with captions about how powerful they are, and that's not how it works at all. There are also some folks who tend to have exploding novenas on the regular with which they chalk up to their immense power. We all know that a tall, strong candle flame indicates powerful work. However, this is not the result of power, it's a result of pyromania, and it's quite dangerous. Remember, it's a novena, not a pipe bomb. Lightly dress your novenas and let the flame speak for itself. There will also, this will also help prevent your house from burning down. I hope this article has helped you learn something new and added at least one more tool to your magical arsenal. And the person who wrote that article, her Instagram is at Oregon underscore wood underscore witch. This is stay safe and don't burn anything down. All right. Our next article also from pathos.com was written on March 4th. 2020 by Astria and it's entitled springtime can wait a love story with Persephone and Hades. This is every winter. The cold dark days seem to drag on the weather chills me to the bone. Even when the light returns, I'm grumpy more than anything. I long for Persephone to return from the underworld. I want her love to spread across our world in the form of flowers, sunshine, warmth, and joy. To make myself feel better about how long springtime takes to truly arrive, I imagine a love story between Persephone, the goddess of spring, and her husband Hades, god of the underworld. It's nearly time for me to return, Persephone says, sitting on the edge of a grand bed covered with furs. Stay a little longer, Hades says, pulling her close to him. Persephone laughs and gives in to his warmth. However, the more thought about the mere thought of about her returning to Earth makes the weather warm and sunny for a few hours. After a while, Persephone dresses in fine clothing. Hades knows she is determined to go. He walks her to the edge of a cave entrance to the underworld. Persephone places one foot outside the cave. Her mere presence makes the snowdrops bloom even in the snow. The croaky blossom too, rejoicing at her proximity. Hades pulls her back into the cave for another embrace. She gives in for a moment, reveling in his touch as snow falls. Coldness ensues a little longer. Persephone breaks away from him with a knowing smile on her lips while still holding his hands. 
She steps out of the cave and the sunshine falls across her face. Daffodils and tulips arise from the earth with her two lips smiling in the warm breeze. She turns to go, but Hades embraces her from behind. Persephone is half in shadow, half in light. She savors this moment with her beloved and reaches out to touch the light. Her fingertips dancing the light make the hyacinths, bluebells, and fritillaria bloom. Like her fingertips, they too dance. My dearest love, Hades says, pulling her close and planting a kiss on the back of her head. Stay a little longer. Springtime can wait. Persephone shakes her head, knowing it's time. She shrugs a moth and steps fully into the world. When her heart and the rest of her come cross into the world, irises and lilies flower. Gladioli pop up and send small flowers out in joy. Allium heads nod in the warmth of her love and the sunshine. Persephone looks back at her husband. He waves forlornly to her as if he's worried she won't return. She laughs at the display and says, I'll be back before you know it. The sound of her voice makes the cherry trees and lilacs burst into bloom. Peony and honeysuckle bushes explode into flowers. Luscious aromas fill the air, echoing her voice. Persephone walks over the fertile earth on the path she knows well. Every footfall crests dandelions, violets, and clover flowers. Her perfume weighs heavy in the air, and bees swarm around her in a myriad of flowers. In the distance, she sees her mother, Demeter, the goddess of grain. As they embrace, the crops of corn and wheat to either side of them begin to flower. Demeter breaks away from their embrace to scowl at the cave entrance, where Hades has shrank into the shadows. Why is he always so slow to let you go? Persephone laughs. He loves me as much as you do, and I need him, and the relaxation too. Just many of my bulbs and seeds need rest in order to grow. Persephone waves her hand over the craggy tree with vibrant green leaves. Delicate white apple blossoms appear, a promise of the fruit to come. Let's go, Demeter slips her hand into her daughters as they walk north. We have a lot of work to do. All right, that's the end of this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Please have a wonderful day and blessings to you all. This episode of the Goddess Morning Show is brought to you by FromAshesWeRiseTo.com where you can get wellness coaching using holistic methods of healing, Purchase our handcrafted, custom-blended, organic, non-GMO herbal teas that are crafted with love, and also order hand-poured soy candles infused with love and pure essential oils and herbs to heal using aromatherapy. Visit our website at fromasheswerise2.com. That's fromasheswerise with the number 2.com to read more about these products and services. Have a blessed day.